Thank you, Demetrius. And while you're getting seated, I'm going to ask you to open up your uh, bulletins, and inside of it you'll find uh, an insert. On one side, it's, uh, one side of it, it says Shining Unity. That is the sermon handout for today. It's basically the notes, uh, the main points, all of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning as we go through the book of Philippians. And then on the back side of it, the MPG. And if you're streaming at home right now, you can go to the website. There's a little place where you can download this and print it off as well. But MPG in the popular world means miles per gallon. It's how far you can go down the road on a tank of gas. We think the same thing is true and needs to be true about the Word of God. You need to not just have it on Sunday morning. You need to take it down the road a little bit. And so we give you this MPG, Memorize, Pray, and Glorify, as a way to take the message every week a little bit further down the road, make it applicable in your life. And this will bless your life. Make sure you get it out right now as we begin this message. Now, this morning, this is the second message in the series that we're calling Shine. It's based on the letter that we call Philippians, and it's specifically based on this verse out of Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul says to the church, You will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will shine among them like stars in the sky. It's really kind of a wonderful, captivating, gripping image for the church, right? Something that shines is beautiful. Something that shines is noticeable. You, you can't just turn away from it. It captures your attention. And that's really what the church is supposed to be in every community where it's found around the world. In fact, our theme statement for the sermon series is this. The church is a beautiful and noticeable presence that is shining all over the world. You and me, the churches all over the world are supposed to be a beautiful and noticeable presence shining in the world. And one of the ways that we saw last week that we shine in the world is in the way that we relate to one another, how we build our relationships and the quality and the depth and the profoundness of our relationships inside of the body of Christ. And last week it was about how we see each other, how we're thankful for each other, that the way that we're we're, we're thankful for each other. And the way that we relate to each other is the way that we shine in the community. And there are basically three ways that we saw at the beginning of Philippians chapter 1 in which we do that. We recognize that our people, that is the body of Christ, fellow disciples, are saints. We are people who are being made holy by God in order to be His image bearers in the world. My people are also a God work, not just a regular work, but a God work. God is working in our lives. We are a God work in progress. We are not who we are supposed to be just yet, but as we keep moving, walking with the Spirit, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit blossoming in our life, we are that God work that blossoms and becomes beautiful and noticeable in the world. And then the last thing we looked at last week is, you know, when we think about each other, I mean, this is the group of people in this community, this particular body of Christ that's working together to make the world beautiful again we live like christ and we see people like christ we speak like christ our affections and our values are that of christ the most beautiful human being who ever lived and we continue that trajectory in the way that we we live our life in the world so let's talk about the church for just a second we'll continue talking about it what do you think of when you think of a church? Like MacArthur Park, for instance. Many of you have been members here for a very, very long time. Big churches, little churches. But what do you think of when you think about your experience at church? I think of growing up in these incredible potlucks. 
there was a time in which, you know, going to a, a smaller church during the summer and during the, especially around the winter time, that maybe once a month or maybe once every two or three months you'd have this potluck. And it was basically a buffet of everybody's favorite dishes. And I can remember all of these people kind of crammed around tables, and there was a long table with all this food, you know, the piles of, of fried chicken and sliced ham and potato salad, some very unusual casseroles and maybe one or two exotic jello salads. But it was all of these people just kind of gathered around a table and eating and laughing and, and talking about life and sharing life together. I think of, of people sitting in pews like this. People, some of them, you see them every week. Some you, you see every couple of weeks, depending on the size of the auditorium. But people sitting next to each other in a pew. I think of hearing people sing together. I remember sort of the first song leader of of my coming uh, of age years, where I actually remember people that were leading in worship, a fellow by the name of Chuck Wilson. He was about, you know, he's super tall, like this tall right here. And he was, and he'd get up, and there are certain songs that to this day, when we sing them as a church family, all these years later, I remember Chuck Wilson and listening to him lead singing. And it dawns on me, and I think it will dawn on you too, that when we think about the church, I mean, when we really think about the church, we don't really think about the building and parking lot, as important as all these things are, the air conditioning, the pews. We think about people. We think about folks. We think about brothers and sisters. And when we think about brothers and sisters, we always think about family. In fact, that is one of the metaphors that's used in the Bible to describe the body of Christ. When all of these people from all of their backgrounds come together, they are baptized and born again into the kingdom of God. They become the body of Christ. It is like a big family. In fact, the church is God's big family. We are family. In fact, this is one of the ways that Paul says it in a letter to the Ephesians. In, in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, You're no longer foreigners even though you may be from all these different countries. You're no longer strangers, even though you may not know each other very well, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. God's people, my people, and also members of His what? Hey, let's say that a little louder. Members of His household. We are God's big family. At the end of Galatians, Paul refers to the Christians as the family of God. Peter says the same thing in a couple of places in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he refers kind of the same thing, that Christians are the family of believers. When Paul is writing about the church kind of spreading through all of Macedonia in 1 Thessalonians, he refers to them as God's family. The Hebrew writer says that the people that God is making holy are the same family. The church is God's big family. And as a, a healthy physical family goes, so goes the church in a lot of ways. Think about a healthy physical family. There's love for each other, support for each other, not just good times, but also in the bad times. There's support, there's standing next to each other, there's providing resources for each other, making sacrifices. At times you have to protect each other. A lot of the time you have to forgive one another. You have to instruct one another. As a healthy physical family, you just stand beside each other in the good times and the bad times, in the present, in, in, in the days that come and in the past. Everybody is together. And when you think about a healthy physical family, you think of a lot of things that they have in common, but it all kind of boils down to this. Five words. 
always there for one another. Say that with me. Always there for one another. Now that should also be the way, at least one of the ways, that we think about being a member of God's family, that we should think about being a member of this particular church family. That when it comes to our church family, we are always going to be there for one another. Amen? Through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad times. One of my favorite theologians from the past century is this fellow by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German, uh, was martyred in April of 1945, led a bit of a resistance movement in Germany against the Nazis. And he was, you know, because of, of the, the danger that was involved, he wrote a little book called Life Together that was really about his ideas about what it means for the church to hang with each other, especially when the culture around them is not all that that uh, that friendly not all that embracing of them and in the book he writes this statement that in jesus christ we that is the church people like you and me we have been chosen from eternity accepted in time and united with each other for all of eternity that is exactly what the bible teaches us as a way to think about what it means to be a part of the church family now, last week, we, we, we shine when we understand the worth of disciples and brothers and sisters. I mean, we are thankful for the faithful, right? Now, the big idea this week is we are going to shine as a church in the community when we shine as a community of unity. We are thankful for the faithful, and we shine as a community of unity. And this is where Paul gets to at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. He says, I want you to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we're going to come back to that. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in, say it with me, one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The, the oneness of the church, of the body of Christ in all circumstances, in all challenges, in all contexts, is something that should always be guarded and never taken for granted. People will always be the greatest challenge to unity in the body of Christ. The biggest problems will be people problems because the human, the, 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 the story of, of humans is the history of fighting with one another. Think about Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. I mean, right off the bat, as sin enters into the world, what happens? Families begin to fall apart and you have Cain killing Abel. Unity friends, is the exception in our world, not the rule. Unity is the exception, not the rule in a world that is just professional when it comes to fragmenting and dividing and, and separating people from people. I mean, that's the nature of sin, is it not? When somebody sins against you, I mean, you don't want to run up and embrace them. You want to get away from them as fast as you can. That's what sin does. It separates, first, us from God, and that's the main problem. And then us from us. That's what sin does. But the gospel of God is about reconciling everything in 
Christ Jesus. Now, there are two sources for the challenges that confront the church's unity, and they're both people. People are always going to be at the root of a fight. First, people on the outside. The church in Philippi did not begin softly, peacefully, or tranquilly. There were folks in the city that did not like what Paul and Silas, I'll talk more about this in two weeks in Acts chapter 16, but there were people in the, town, in the city of Philippi that did not like Paul and Silas's ministry. You'll remember that they healed this woman who was a slave, who was possessed by a, what they, in, in the original languages, a spirit of python. It was, she had the ability to predict the future and she was making money. They healed her. The, the guys that owned this girl, the, the, the slave girl, have lost their income and so they get upset. They pull Paul and Silas before the authorities of the city. The magistrates hear that the crowd is getting kind of riled up, so they strip Paul and Silas down, they have him beaten, and they throw him into prison. And apparently, the outsider opposition to the church did not go away for a while. Even though it began really intensely, it did not go away. And so Paul, at the end of Philippians chapter 1, says it's really important that when I hear about how you're conducting yourself as a, as a church, that you be one in mind, one in spirit, so that, verse 28, you will not be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, you know as well as I do that, that disagreements are they di- disagreements don't cause the fights. Disagreements do not cause the fights. What causes the fights are people who do not understand how to handle a disagreement in a godly kingdom way. And so There's going to be issues at times from people on the outside, and there's going to be issues with people on the inside. Sometimes the can of worms opens from the inside. In this particular church in Philippi, chapter 1, verse 15, there was rivalry. There were people that were kind of jockeying for position with each other. There was selfish ambition, verse 17 of the first chapter. I mean, Paul is down and out, and there's some people that are kicking him while he's down. Some in the church didn't mind stirring up trouble. I mean, there's always somebody that's not afraid to fight, right? Verse 17. And then you go to the end of the book, chapter 4, and there's these two women by the name of Euodia and Syntyche that are struggling with each other. I mean, sometimes the struggle is people on the outside or outside influences, and sometimes the can of worms opens from the inside, and it's people on the inside. The outside-inside challenges to the church's unity, though, didn't stop in the first century. They continue to this very day. You know as well as I do that there are times when Christians can lose their cool. They can lose their composure with with each other over outside influences like political parties and stances and things like that. Churches have split over insider issues like whether or not we should have a fellowship hall or a kitchen inside of a church building or coat racks or how to support orphan zones or how to use church funds. Outside influences, inside challenges to the church's unity continues to this day. And whenever there is a challenge to our standing together and shining as a community of unity in the world, Paul writes, verse 27, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
People should see our diversity. They should see our unity in diversity and get an idea of what the gospel is all about. That which is far and near being brought together and being made one. Now there is a practical side to unity. I mean it doesn't just happen because we want it to happen. We need, we need to think about it before there's a struggle on the inside because it's always easier from the outside looking in to find a solution than it is when you find yourself in the middle of a disagreement. So there are a couple of really practical ways that we need to consider adopting as a daily practice, a way that we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel on a daily basis to protect the oneness of the body of Christ. Number one, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Jesus died for you because you are a sinner, and I'm a sinner. He died for us. I am responsible for creating the environment in which necessitated the cross of Jesus as you are. We are all who we are today because a perfect human being who was also God, who traveled from heaven to earth and became a man, and not just a man, but a servant, and not just a servant, but one who is obedient to death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. We are who we are because of the cross of Jesus of Nazareth. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And a lot of times, the biggest problems that we find in, in congregational life is when we forget who we really are. We are sinners made saints by the grace of God. In fact, you know what justice is, right? Justice is you and I getting what we deserve. Mercy is you and I not getting what we deserve. And you know what grace is? Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. We are people of grace. And the impact of the cross changes us. And we need to remember who we are every day. We are the people of God. And Paul writes... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you are a person who is not separated from Christ. You're united with Christ. And all of the blessings that come from Christ are yours, including the resurrection. If there's any comfort from His love, think about the love of Christ and how it has impacted your life. You may feel guilty sometimes at night, but then all of a sudden you begin thinking about the love and all of the blessings of that love, the forgiveness, the embracing, all of that stuff that comes from being united with Christ, and all of a sudden you realize that you are a different human being. You experience the love of Christ every day. There is nowhere that you and I go in the world today where we're not loved. If any common sharing in the Spirit Man, sometimes we forget that the Spirit of God resides in us. And the Spirit of God residing in us is helping us to live the likeness of Jesus every day. Not just in front of God, but in front of each other. If any tenderness and compassion, you're saved because of the tenderness of God. I'm saved because of the compassion of God. Does that have any bearing on the degree of tenderness and compassion that I'm to show to brothers and sisters in Christ, in the body of, of Christ. What Paul is doing in verse 1 of chapter 2 is reminding the Philippian Christians, with trouble on the outside, trouble on the inside, he's reminding them of their experience of what it meant to become a born-again disciple of Jesus. You're united with Jesus. You are loved 
when, when, and that should lower our anxiety. The Spirit of God is in you and in your fellow believers. The tenderness, the compassion, and on top of that, you're a saint. We begin by remembering who we are. We're part of something really big, being united with Christ. And then number two, eradicate selfishness. You know, I think it would be nearly completely accurate to say that most of the people's struggles that I have encountered in my 40 years of ministry have somehow been connected to self-centeredness. Paul writes in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Two things that should not be a part of the lifestyle, the behavior, the ethic, the way we think about the world as disciples of Jesus. Selfishness and conceitedness. Selfishness is is trying to fill that God-shaped hole with something that's not God. It's saying that I'm going to do this and you're trying to take care of all of those issues in such a way that it's not God that's filling that God-shaped hole, but it's something else. And it's just creating all kinds of havoc in relationships. The way that you're making your life is by fighting. Vain conceit is pride. Pride is being empty of glory and so hungry for it that you're going to do whatever you've got to do to get it. Even if it means putting somebody else down or destroying them. You ever heard anybody in church say, well, it's my way or the highway? Ever heard somebody say that in a marriage? In a business relationship, my way or the highway? There are few things. I mean, that just does not work even in in the physical, public, non-religious culture. That there are few things that restrict God's will from being done in your life more than selfishness. Selfishness and vain conceit are destructive forces in human behavior. It's seeing all of life and it's evaluating others through the lens of me. And that is why selfish and vain people are impatient. That's why they're unforgiving. Self-centered people are not very good listeners. And it's the grace of God's love. That is what heals our selfish hearts. Number three, get and stay humble. Paul says, in humility, value others above yourself. In humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. One of the defining marks, I think, of every really healthy church body, body of Christ, is there's a high degree of humility when it comes to relating to one another. Humility that allows us to listen and to really be present when we're listening to somebody. And to try to understand, before we try to make our point known, to really try to understand where the other person is coming from. It's, it's putting other people's values, or valuing others above yourself. It's looking not just to your own interests, but looking to the interests of other people. That is, that is a proactive thing to do, to be a healthy body of Christ, is to be looking at other people. In fact, maybe this is, this is a practice, kind of thought about it in the early service, didn't talk about it, but maybe this is something, I'll introduce it now, 
Maybe this is something that we should do in all of our interactions, whether it's on the phone, in person, whatever it might be, at church or whatever, and we're talking to somebody. The way we end the conversation is this way. Is there anything else I can do for you? Is there anything else I can do for you? And then finally, think like Jesus. You know, this is one of the most difficult things to do as a disciple of Jesus. I, I, I know changing behavior is really, really difficult, but behavior doesn't really change a lot of time until there's a way that you change your thinking. And the way that we're supposed to think about other people is in the way that Jesus thinks about other people. So why did Jesus come to earth? Because he was, he was valuing you above himself. He was looking to your needs. And so he empties himself, does not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he lets go of that and he comes to earth. He leaves heaven and comes to this place because of you. He becomes a man because of me. And an obedient man, a servant man, looking to the needs of others to the extent that he dies on the cross for you and me. In other words, Jesus came to die for us. Are we willing to die for each other? Are we willing to make sacrifices? Are we willing to be a servant like Jesus when it comes to being this healthy body? Well, it begins by drawing near to God. I mean, when people come and they want to get married, we, we talk to them, premarital counseling, we say, you know, think of a triangle. you got God up here. You've got the husband and the wife down here. And as they draw closer to God, what happens to them? They draw closer to each other. Now, this is going to be hard for a Church of Christ to do, but imagine 100 shiny black Steinway baby grand pianos up here on this stage. Now, you got that in your mind? Now imagine them trying to tune themselves to each other. They can't do it. I mean, everybody's kind of vying to be the tuner, and they just they can't do it, they can't do it, until somebody stands way out in front with a tuning fork, hits it on, on a stand, and every one of those pianos tune themselves to that one source. And in so tuning themselves to that one source, they come in tune with each other. That's the church, my friends. That's shining in unity. That's what it means to shine in unity, to tune ourselves to God in such a way that people see that in the way that it tunes us to each other. I want to let's sing that song again, uh, this little light of mine in closing. I want you to put your finger up and let's just remind each other in singing together that we have a light that's supposed to shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine all the time. Let it shine, oh yeah. When the disagreements come, I'm going to let it shine. When the disagreements come, I'm going to let it shine. When the disagreements come, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Time, let it shine. Oh, yeah. If you want to become a disciple of Jesus today, come down and see me in the front as Brad continues to lead us in singing. Let's stand.